Have you been thinking about having a freelance business? There are so many things to know, and it might feel a little intimidating to take that big leap. But you want to listen up for this episode because you're going to get some tips and tricks on how to have a successful freelance business. You're listening to the Dynamic Women podcast. Each week, you'll be inspired by our global community of women. They'll share with you tools and stories to help you be dynamic in every area of life. He's your host, award-winning coach, and the CEO and founder of Dynamic Women, Diane Ralston. Hello, lovely Dynamic Women. Welcome to the Dynamic Women podcast. I'm Diane Ralston, your host. And today I have the pleasure of interviewing Ray Hyde Cornell. Hi, Ray. Hey, thanks for having me, Diane. Yeah, so great to have you here. And what we're going to be talking about today is how to build a successful freelance business. This is a good topic. I like it. So before we dive in, listeners, I want you to know a little bit more about Ray so that you know kind of where she's come from, what she's up to, uh, and then we're going to dive into some questions. So Ray Hyde Cornell has been freelancing for more than 16 years as a copywriter turned agency owner. Now she's sharing all of her most powerful business and manifestation hacks with other freelancers. As a business mentor at Chiron Consulting, Ray hosts barrier-shattering workshops on pricing, client acquisition, and mindset, and works one-on-one with private clients to help them triple their incomes within one year. As an agency owner at Cornell Content Marketing, Ray builds and executes psychology-informed content strategies for her clients while training her team in efficient writing methods and the psychology of copywriting. Here we go, Ray. I'm sure already I could just ask you questions from your bio. That'd be fun. Yep. We can dive right into it. <laughs> well, let's, let's look for 16 years ago, you started freelancing. And I know that a lot of people are maybe, you know, sitting at a job or maybe they've just been trained in something or like, do I stay at my job or get a job or do I go into freelancing? So what kind of was the decision for you to even start in freelancing? So I started out of necessity. So hmm. As a teenager, I was super independent. I didn't come from a great home. And so I was kind of always looking for those external escapes. And I had all kinds of jobs. Mm. When I went off to college, when I was 17, I started by just snatching up every job on campus that I could get. I was working in, I think, eight or nine different department offices on mm. campus, doing everything from website development to grading math papers and things like that. So I was all over the place. And then in, at the end of my first year of college, I was attacked on campus and I developed pretty severe PTSD and I just literally couldn't even hold down a job. I didn't want to leave my room. I couldn't sleep at night. When I did sleep, I slept for like 12, 14 hours. I couldn't show up anywhere on time. I was an absolute mess. And so I still had to provide for myself. I still wanted to pay for tuition. And, you know, eventually I was able to get the school to break my housing lease. So I moved off campus. I had to pay for rent there. And I leaned into what I was always naturally good at. You know, I think everybody has a natural talent, whether it's music or drawing or writing or photography, and mine was writing. And so I leaned into that and started making money as a freelance writer. Yeah. Wow. Sorry to hear what happened to you, but it's it's interesting how sometimes 
stuff that happens to us helps to push us in the way that we really needed to go in the first place. Yes, very so, much so. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that with us. So you were, so you started in copywriting because you were really good at it. And that's like, you knew that. How, how, what if like people don't really know what they're good at? I think everybody knows what they're good at because it's the Mm. thing that they actually enjoy doing. The thing is a lot of people don't know that the thing that they enjoy doing can make them money. So for example, just a close to home example, my -hmm. husband loves woodworking. He spends hours out in his shop. He loves tinkering and he makes these gorgeous cutting boards. It didn't even dawn on him that he could set up an Etsy shop or a Facebook marketplace listing and sell, you know, local sport team engraved cutting boards to people in our neighborhood and things like that. So it's just people know what they enjoy doing and what they're good at, but they don't know how to translate that into a business that can sustain them and be their primary source of income. That's actually so true. Cause as I was growing up, I like talking and being on stage and I, and I really liked helping people. Like I was always the one sat beside the struggling kid, the new kid, the bullied kid, the teacher always put me there and I could, I could help them build their confidence. But I was like, what do I do with that? I never, I never knew what to do with it. Yeah. So I guess that's where someone like you or a coach or someone else uh, will step in to really help to, to say, yeah, you've got these talents and you can move into these spaces and these industries with it. Exactly. And when we grow up in this W-2 employment focused world, we're taught you've got to get a job with a certain label, attorney, engineer, doctor, counselor, something like that. And we don't see what we're passionate about in those labels. And so we then start to get it in our heads. Oh, that's not possible. I can't do that. Who am I to ask for that or want that or build that? Mm. Why should I do that? Why, why would I even be crazy enough to think that that would be possible? But that's all just the narrative that's been put on us. That's not the truth. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And you're really passionate about turning your creative talents into a career, Yes. but in the beginning, Like, where did you get your clients? So um, when I was first starting out, I got my clients from my classmates. (laughs) I started out writing papers for the people in my school program, friends of theirs. I just start, I'm totally not legit, but that's where I started. And I was really good at it. People would come back saying, oh my God, I got an A, I got an A, whatever. I'm like, Yeah. yeah, I got the A. But eventually I realized okay, there's something to this, but I I felt icky about the whole like writing for my classmates thing. And so I was like, I've got to, there's got to be a quote unquote legit way for me to make money for my writing. And so that's when I started going online. And I think this is what a lot of freelance writers do. You go online and you type in to Google or Bing or Yahoo back in the day, whatever you say, make money writing or writing jobs or writing jobs online. That's what you type into Google and you just see what pops up. And that's how I made the transition into working for a bunch of content mills. Now that was a good stepping stone for me because it allowed me the experience of writing for legitimate companies. Mostly I was writing for car dealerships and car manufacturers, Toyota and GMC and things like that. 
but I was getting paid $25 per blog. And these pieces were like 800 words and they were super yeah. technical and detailed. Yes. It was exhausting. I hit burnout very quickly doing that. But again, it was a stepping stone for me to see yeah. what's possible. And then I just continuously tried to level up and go, okay, this isn't working. What about it is not working? In that case, it was the pricing and the subject matter was just mind-numbingly boring for me. So <laughs> then I go, okay, so can I get paid better? Can I write more interesting content? Who yeah. would I like to write for? And then eventually I built that up. And one of my earliest clients in this kind of new business model that I developed was Pretty Litter, the cat litter company. And I had a cat. I love cats. That was a great start. Yeah. Yeah. So listeners, did you catch these different pieces that Ray was saying? One, it's okay in the beginning, you know, to have some stepping stones and take some work that just teaches you or puts your, some good company names on your resume that Google and searching for jobs or opportunities or doing your, your freelance talent online is a really great place to start. And then I love right how you were saying about, you were looking at what you don't like because I'm guessing you were feeling the dissonance in that job. And for anyone out there that's like dissonance, what's that? It's like this lack of energy. It feels like you're pushing. It's hard. You're tired. And when you're on the flip side in resonance, you're excited and you're uh, energetic and time flies by. So in a moment, I'm going to ask you what your resonance is, Ray. But what I'm hearing is that you looked at, I don't like this, so you got curious and you asked a lot of powerful questions. So when you had the answers, what did you do with that? Like, how did you then go, okay, I'm finishing this and moving into something else. Yeah. So early on when I hit burnout, I burned it all to the ground. I fired all of my clients all at once. I Ooh. said, I'm done. I threw my hands up. And, and this is just me. I tend to be very all or nothing. If I'm going to go do something, I'm going to do it and I'm going to do it yeah. hard. Yes. So I fired all of my clients. I think at the time I was making about 6,000 a month, but I was working like 18 hour days every day. I was exhausted. And so I went three months with absolutely no income. And that really pushed me to have to find a solution that was going to work for me and take action. Because at the time I was sharing rent with my husband, my now husband, then boyfriend. Um, <laughs> and we, we had bills, we had responsibilities. I had to do something and I was not willing to go back to the W2 world. So, and there's a whole kind of parallel career path that I had as I went through college and got my degrees in a completely different industry. But when I decided that wasn't for me and I really wanted to make it as a freelance writer, yeah, I needed to take action. And so that transition for me at that time was burn it all down because frankly, there was nothing I wanted to keep in that business model. Mm -hmm. I have had iterations since where I've made some drastic changes, but I haven't burned it all to the ground because there were things that I really wanted to keep within my current business model. Yep. I just needed to make yeah. some significant changes. Yeah. So you did more of a uh, transition period where you removed some things to create space for new things. Exactly. Yeah. So listeners don't feel like you have to just walk away from everything. No, uh, Ray's done it both ways and has had success in both styles. So resonance, where, where did you find the energy? What do you love writing about? Yeah. So it took me a while to figure this out, but mm -hmm. ironically, 
my resonance came from accepting my past. And what I mean by that is I got a bachelor's degree in psychology, a master's in professional clinical counseling, and another master's in criminology. And I was on track to be a counselor in the prison system. I'd been doing internships at substance abuse centers and um, community counseling centers, mental hospitals. And I was actually working at a mental hospital for four months. That was my really only W-2 stint that I have on my record. And I completely burned out on the mental health world. And Mm. so when I left that world and went full-time as a freelance writer, I was pretty bitter about all the time I spent on these three degrees and all the student loans and all of that. But then over time, I, I would kind of every once in a while on a sales call, I would mention my background because people would ask, oh, do you have a degree in marketing? And I'd say, no, actually my degree is in psychology. And at first I was like, please don't take this too seriously. Like, I don't want you to think that I'm not the right person for the job because I have a degree in psych. I was ashamed of it almost, but people actually started seeing that as a really valuable trait on, on my resume. And so when I finally found that resonance point, it was when I decided to marry my psych background and copywriting, which actually go really hand in hand. And now when I get into the flow, it's really when I'm working on a project where I'm using that understanding of human behavior, human emotion, human decision-making, and I'm writing a piece. I don't do as much writing as I did back in the day now that I have a team to manage, but when I'm most in my zone is when I'm putting myself into someone else's situation and really writing for them with that empathy. Mm, Nice. Nice. Just kind of let that percolate for a moment for everyone listening. And you mentioned W2. Not all of our listeners are in the States. Oh, yes. (laughs) Um, So maybe you just want to clarify what W2 life or world means. Yes. So W2, when you get a full-time or part-time job with a company, you sign paperwork and you become a W2 employee, as opposed to what I am now, which is a 1099 contractor. And Mm -hmm. when you are a W2 employee, that's kind of my shorthand for referencing all of the demands and restrictions and obligations that companies put on you. Like W2 employees have to be at work at a certain place at a certain time and do their work in a certain way. They have to follow certain dress codes, certain policies for the company, et cetera. As a 1099 contractor, and now I do work with a lot of these companies, but in a completely different capacity, nobody can tell me where to do my work, when to do my work, how to do my work, any of that. So I switched the W-2 for the 1099. And, you know, there's a lot of merits to the W-2 world. My husband was an employee of FedEx for 20 years. I was able to retire with a pension and a 401k at the age of 38. And there's a big perk there, but it's not designed for everyone, especially people who are very free spirited, don't like to be put in a box. And that was definitely me. So it just wasn't a right fit. I'm, I'm laughing because it's, there were times when I was at my job and I'm like, oh my gosh, I just don't want to be here right now. (laughs) Like I want to go and do my own thing. So that has been really good, but on the flip side, being a freelancer, a small business owner, you've got to find the clients yourself. So how, how do you close clients without it feeling salesy, icky, hard? What do you do? Yeah. So the closing of the clients, this doesn't really relate to actually getting the clients on the call, but when, once you finally have someone on that call, once you're talking to them, 
A lot of people who enter the freelance world, especially creatives, designers, social media managers, writers, photographers, they hate the idea of sales because they think they have to sound like a used car salesman. Mm, And the thing is, nobody likes to be talked to that way. Nobody likes to be sold to. So even though I still call them my quote unquote sales calls, I don't really feel like I'm doing any selling. Really what I'm doing is a getting to know the person finding something out about them, finding some connection that we can share, you know, similar to how, when you and I first met, you live in Vancouver, my husband and I got married in Vancouver, something as simple as that, just to kind of break the ice and warm people up and then be just stay focused on them. Don't have a list of questions that you need to get answered to that. You're just going to kind of skip right along to really focus on what the person is saying and have the intention of figuring out what is their problem? What are the pain points they're dealing with? What are they struggling with? Why are you even having this conversation? And then C, figure out, do you have a solution? If so, present it in that problem solution kind of uh, light, you know, not in a, Hey, let me sell you this package. I'm going to give you a great deal. That's not the case. It's, Hey, I hear you, you know, you're struggling with this, 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 and this, what we typically do with companies who are in that situation is we do a, B, and C, and this will help you because of X, Y, and Z. So when you can present it in that, you know, square peg meeting square hole, yeah then it's a beautiful fit. Nobody feels like they're being sold to. They feel like they're being helped. Yeah. So listeners, did you catch that raid basically just gave you like a three-step formula to having good quote unquote sales calls. (laughs) So you're just going to show up and find that common ground to get to know them. Then the second step is that you're going to listen and focus on them and be intent on really listening so that you can uncover what their true problem is and then move to step three, which is provide the solution connected to the problem. And that will, that just feels nice, doesn't it? When you go through that model. Exactly. And honestly, there are sometimes when I'm on my sales calls and someone says, this is my problem. This is what I, oftentimes they come to me saying, Hey, I think I need SEO. And then I go, okay, wait, let's focus on what is your problem? What's, what's going on. And then I, end up saying, you know what, SEO is really not going to help you with this because of your target audience, because of the product you're selling. What you actually need to be doing is this other thing. Now we don't do that, but I do have a partner agency that does that very well. Let me connect you with them. And then even though I'm not getting that person's business, I can't tell you how many times that person has referred people to me for the things that Mm -hmm. we do do. And I haven't had to prospect for new clients in a couple of years now because it's all just been flooding in through referral because of the way that we treat people on sales calls. Hmm. Yes. I want to ask you about referrals and I'm then I'm after that, I'm going to get to how do you price yourself perfectly mm-hmm. so that you make enough and you're not resentful <laughs> and you can have the life you want to live. But first let's, let's start off with that piece of referrals and it's not just how you were in the sales call. What are some tips would you give to a freelancer that they can do now to start building up their business through referrals? Yeah, that's a great question. So one of the aha moments that I had probably seven or eight years ago was I was kind of hitting this stagnant patch where I didn't have any new business coming in. I was kind of tired. I was like, I don't want to go out and prospect. And I'm like, why are none of my good clients sending me 
more good clients. Yes. And so I just asked, I was like, I emailed a couple of my uh, content creation clients and I said, Hey, I, in my experience, the best clients come from other clients who I really enjoy working with. Do you happen to know anybody who needs content creation work? One of them responded going, Oh yeah, absolutely. I have three people I'd like to introduce you to, but (laughs) you're so good. I thought you were just so busy and I didn't know that you were actually taking new clients. And that's the thing. If you're good at what you do, and if you have this very put together, organized facade that your clients see, which is a good thing, Mm -hmm. they think, Oh, you're busy. You're full. No, you don't have room for new people. So let them know, let them know, Hey, I have a few spots open for clients starting in March or April or May or whatever the case might be. Just open that door and then they will have you top of mind, but you have to put it out there first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's, that's really good for someone that already has a few clients. They can go through that means that they don't have to go prospect themselves. I love how you put it in a way that's, that's really kind of casual, not like, Hey, do you have any referrals for me? <laughs> Which is so icky. Right. Um, So listeners, I encourage you, if you have a business and you have even just two clients, use the words that Ray just said, like go back, rewind, listen again, write them down, use them because they work for her. So they'll probably work for you. Well, and I will say, if you're at a point where you're just starting and you don't have any clients, turn to your friends and your colleagues. So Mm -hmm. as a writer, I don't do any design, but I know a number of designers and they don't do any writing work. They would hate to put pen to paper. So connect with them and say, Hey, I'm kind of in a lull right now. I have some open spots for new clients. Do you have any design clients or know of anybody who needs help with writing work? And in that way, you have these parallel partner relationships forming where you're not stepping on each other's toes, but then there's room for collaboration and you can help each other out. Yeah. It becomes a nice like circle where everyone is serving the client in their own unique way and then passing off work around the circle to different people. That's yeah. that's a really nice way to evolve the business. So that's also why it's good to network and to not, not think of networking as I'm going to look for clients. It's I'm going to look for people who serve my ideal market as well. Exactly. They just don't do what I do and I can refer. Yeah, exactly. good tips. So in the beginning, you got paid what you were told you were going to get paid mm-hmm. in your job. Now that you're on your own, or when you moved into working on your own, you had to price yourself and tell people what the investment would be. Mm -hmm. How did you do that? Because you have something called pricing yourself perfectly. Yes. That's that's such a hard thing. I know that new people or people moving up in their business. What are your tips? So it's hard when you're doing it the way that everyone does it, which is going to Google and typing in, how much should I charge for a blog post? How much should I charge for a design package? Because if you're a designer, you can go online and there is a website called 99designs where people will do logos for $99. And then you will find incredible designers who are selling branding packages for $25,000. What a spectrum. That is a wide range. You are going to find every price point imaginable out there. So how are you supposed to choose one? You're not. Don't choose a price point based on what everyone outside of you is doing. What I have my people do when we do a workshop or when I'm working one-on-one with my mentoring clients is we start by figuring out what do you need? What are your base expenses for your household and for your business? That's your bottom line that you have to meet. And then what are the nice to haves? Your Netflix, your Canva subscription, you know, all these other things that 
we really want to have in our businesses. We could live without them if we had to, but we don't want to. And then what's the best case scenario where you're setting aside money for your 401k, your self-funded retirement plan, your down payment on a house, your kid's mm -hmm. college fund, whatever it might be. And we use that to calculate a base hourly rate. Now, I don't recommend that most people charge by the hour because then you end up getting penalized for being fast. And the better you get, <laughs> the less you're going to yes. get paid yes. unless you raise your hourly rate and clients tend to have a threshold on what they're willing to pay per hour. So we only use that baseline hourly rate to calculate your per project fee. Mm -hmm. But the key here, I mean, this is a lot of like calculating and you can definitely do this, take out a piece of paper and do that right now. But ultimately what you need to know is your pricing has to come from you. And most likely, once you do all these calculations, you're going to fall somewhere in the middle of that range from dirt cheap to insanely expensive. You're going to fall in the middle. And that's exactly where you want to be. But the confidence around your pricing comes from a knowing what you need in order to do the job. And then the second part of this is doing what I call an energetic check-in. When you look at the number on the page, so let's say I'm thinking about writing a blog post for a client and I'll use uh, one that we just landed this month, which is a cybersecurity client. So big topic, not my most favorite, super technical, got to do a lot of research. If I'm looking at a number on a page, let's say $250, how do I feel? I have to look at that number and go, oh, actually that makes me feel like heavy. And I feel kind of like, man, I don't really want to do that. But then if I go, okay, so what if I change that number to 450 for a blog post for a cybersecurity client? Okay. I'm feeling like I could do that. That, that might be doable. What if I change that number to 525 suddenly inside right now? I'm just, even as I'm telling you this, I'm yeah. feeling excited. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. 525. That feels like a good number. Trust that feeling because money is an energetic exchange. When somebody pays you to do something, you are giving them value and you are receiving monetary compensation. So that needs to feel balanced. If it doesn't, and you feel heavy and kind of yes. sluggish, just in the vibe of the number, you're going to hit burnout. Hmm. True. Yeah. Because you don't want to become resentful exactly. based on the work. So if the, if it's like the work, isn't going to energize you, the dollar amount to be paid to do the work could be energizing you for the type of life it's going to help you to live. Exactly. Exactly. And for every project and every client, it's going to be a little different. That's why we always calculate baseline rates, baseline project rates. And then if you need to add a, okay, this client is like super technical, needs a lot of specialized expertise. You add some on top of that, or I do have a couple of clients who take a lot more of my time and energy just in maintaining them and communicating with them. So <laughs> add a pain in the ass tax on top of that price, whatever you need to do to make that energetic exchange feel equal. <laughs> PETA. Yes. What you just said, those are PETAs. And it made me laugh because I can remember maybe a year into coaching, I had someone on the phone with me and I was talking about finding out their problems and finding out the solutions that they've already put into place and what didn't work and all that. And they just kept throwing up walls and throwing up walls. And then they were like, can you prove that you're going to get me the results I want? And I was, and as the conversation was going on, my fee was going up and going yep. up and going yep. up. And at the end <laughs> I said, and this is the investment for working with me. And she went, holy, that's way too much. And I said, I'd be happy to refer you to someone else. Yeah. 
So freelancers, listeners out there, you are allowed to change. I love that. The permission to change your rate based on the difficulty of the project or the difficulty of the client in the project. Yeah. And oftentimes freelancers, especially in the beginning, run into this problem of, well, how dare I ask that much? Or who am I to ask for that much? That's imposter syndrome. That is completely separate from your pricing and something that you need to work through or get help working through. But it does not mean that you need to lower your prices because your prices are your prices. And I guarantee you, just like you can get a little black bag from Hermes or a little black bag from Walmart, there is somebody out there who will buy what you're selling at any price point. It all depends on what you need. And that's the only thing that matters. Everything else is just how you position it and how you communicate it. Wow. Yeah, true. So in a moment, I want to ask you about like kind of rapid fire, hardest things about being a freelancer, best things about being a freelancer so that anyone who is on the fence about it can, can get both sides. But first you have a gift for our listeners. I'd love to be able to share that. So why don't you tell us a little bit more about it? Yes. So I have the complete guide to building a successful freelance business. And this guide takes you from the very beginning, which is what is the service I'm going to offer all the way through pricing yourself, finding clients, sales calls, all the way to step 14, which is how do I plan for my future? Self-funded 401ks, retirement, health insurance, all of that. Yeah. So if you are looking at building a freelance business and you're kind of looking at the journey ahead, like, oh my God, I don't even know where to start. I don't know what to do. There's so many pieces. I've ordered everything in the step-by-step process that you need to go through. Just take it one step at a time and you will get there. Brilliant. So the link for that will be in the notes so that you can go and easily grab that. Thank you for bringing that gift for our audience. Appreciate yeah, my pleasure. That. So uh, rapid fire, what are the hardest parts about being a freelancer? Two things, wearing all the hats and holding all the responsibility. Nobody else is going to care about my business as much as I do. And if something is going haywire, I'm the one who needs to fix it. Otherwise it's my livelihood and my husband's livelihood, our house that's on the line. That Mm -hmm. is the hardest thing is holding all of that responsibility on your shoulders. Yes. And one of the best parts of being a freelancer. Well, customizing everything you do to how you work best, which makes carrying the burden of all those responsibilities so much easier when you don't have to work from eight to five and take a noon lunch and you can design a schedule that is perfectly aligned to your natural energy pattern. When you like to wake up, when you like to take breaks, how long you like to work, all of these things, who Mm -hmm. you like to work with, your pricing that you need to receive, all of the kind of services that you're doing, what you need clients to pay for along the process in order to, for you to do your best work, when you can design all of that, it makes running your business so much more enjoyable, so much easier. And it's just incredibly rewarding to know that your time is your own and you have autonomy over your life. Yes. Great. So any freelancers out there, if you, or want to be freelancers, if you're on the fence, Ray has just given you both sides. And I'll I'll have to say the best side is, is you know, the, what's good about it was a, a bigger list, which is great. Yes. Um, and, it, and I agree with that so heartedly because this morning I went to Pilates and then, uh, then, you know, we have this interview and then I have some clients later and, 
And then I'll probably take a break. I might go for a walk. It's sunny here today. Uh, and then maybe make dinner and then pop in just for maybe 30 minutes, an hour to prep for tomorrow. And I get to choose to do that. Yeah. And, and um, I'm going to come to you in a moment to ask you for your final thoughts for our listeners. Um, but listeners, I just have a little message for you that just know that if you are in a job that you love, there is no, no shame for staying there. If that works for you, as Ray said, like if, if that's works for you, you stay there and you love it. Just make sure kind of what we were talking about, your resonance and that you're not resentful and it's not killing your energy. Uh, and for those of you who are like, whatever, I am already, I already do my own thing. Great. But how can you take it to the next level? Maybe take some of Ray's questions that she asked herself in that transition period from a job to working for herself and get curious about, well, what do I really want to make? And what do I really want to be working on? And those questions will help you get to get to that next level. So Ray, final thoughts for our listeners. If there is one thing that I can leave anyone listening to this with, it's if you are feeling like your life is not what you want it to be. And you want to take steps to take more control over your life and your time. And you are thinking about building a freelance business. Yes, there are things that are scary about the process, but I guarantee you there is a solution for every single thing that you are afraid of, whether it's income stability, whether you or not you can retire, how am I going to afford health insurance? I guarantee you there's a solution for all of it. So don't let your fear stop mm -hmm. you from actually having an enjoyable life because your quality of life is the most important thing in the world. And just by you stepping into that decision of choosing to prioritize your quality of life over your fears, you're going to inspire others around you to do the same thing. And what a beautiful world would it be if we were all doing what we really love and we're really good at? That's how it's supposed to be. Yep. Yeah. I agree. <clears throat> thank you for sharing that last message with us. And thank you for all the tips that you've given on how to build a successful freelance business. I'm sure you've inspired some people who are like, I'm doing it. Now's the time. And they're going to grab I your guide, so. make it happen. Uh, and for others, you've, you've probably give them a little push, a little, little fire into their butt to, yeah, maybe I should be charging more and maybe I should be getting re more referrals. So thank you for, for all that you've brought today. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And so listeners, every so often I have amazing dynamic guests like Ray. If you have someone that you think would be a good guest for our show, please email my team at the email team at dianerolston.com. Also make sure you hit subscribe and share this episode with a friend of yours who's maybe thinking of being a freelancer or needs to push their business to the next level. I'm sure they would appreciate it. If you also go into the notes, you'll see some other opportunities to join the Dynamic Women free community, to hang out with us at some of our events, and also to pick up some other tools and tips to move your life and business forward. So. Until next time, everyone, stay dynamic. Bye. Thank you, Dynamic Women, for joining us today. Please hop on over to iTunes to subscribe and leave us a review. Who do you know who needs to hear our message? We'd love it if you'd share our channel with your friends and family. If you're ready to be more dynamic, have more balance and more success, head over to www.dynamicwomenclub.com forward slash free gift for your key to success book. Stay dynamic.